Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Welcome back, everybody, to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. It's been a couple minutes. We took a little hiatus, but we are back, and we're back for some fun stuff for you. I want to welcome back my esteemed co-host. Hello, Livio Marino. What's up? Hey, hey. I'm, I'm glad you escaped from your, your, your cellar that you were trapped in. <laughs> yes, exactly. The, uh, so much has happened. The, the, the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast recording studio, Los Angeles, has been going under a remodel. I literally have the blanket hanging up behind me trying to baffle the sound a little bit so, uh it's doing what it is so um we are back um we're gonna do something just a little offbeat to come back with you guys at just to have some fun that so we are doing the 1940 uh P- prc film the devil bat uh with bella lugosi who stars as a disgruntled chemist who uses shaving lotion and a giant bat to get his revenge on those he feels have wronged him. Uh, the film stars the aforementioned Bella Lugosi as Dr. Paul Carruthers, Suzanne Karen as Mary Heath, Dave O'Brien as Johnny Layden. Uh, he is most famous besides this movie for starring in Reefer Madness. Um, Edward Mortimer <laughs> as Martin Heath. Uh, he is in both Weird Women and The Mad Ghoul Uncredited. Uh, Guy Usher as Henry Morton and Yolanda Malo as Maxine. It's directed by Gene Yarborough, who is someone I know I've raved about. We've talked about him, uh, uh, Livio, because uh, he directed yeah. House of Horrors and The Brute Man. He also directed She Wolf London and the Addams Family episodes. Yes, um, he did. I just, I'm just now realizing that. Yeah, it, that, that's a career. I mean, it all kind of ties together and stuff. It's so cool. Um, uh, it's written, uh, the screenplay is written by John Thomas Neville, based on an original story by George Bricker. And the director of photography, I didn't know this, this is new to me, uh, was Arthur Marnelli, who was the director of photography on White Zombie. So this is a bit oh, of nice. a reunion between he yeah. and Bella Lugosi. Nice. Yeah, no, this is a, this was a good one to, to, uh, to revisit. I've not seen this in... I don't know how many years and yes. I will say for listeners out there who may have maybe looking to uh, watch this for the first time in a while, don't do what I did and watch something like the bride of Frankenstein immediately before <laughs> watching this movie, <laughs> you will be disappointed. Let it, let it exist on its own merits, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to, it's not going to look that. But that said, um, I, you know, I did, I saw this last when I was, probably in college. So it's been probably 20 years since I watched this all the way through, maybe not just having it on the background or something. And um, it's better than I remember it being, or I like it more than I remember it being. I, I think it, I mean, with one or two kind of, you know, critical flaws, I guess it, it holds up really well to, you know, some of the cheaper stuff that universal was doing around this time, a little after, you know, I'm thinking about like horror Island and stuff. Yeah. Like it's not, it's closer to that than it is like a Republic serial, you know, where it looks like they literally had two days to film the entire thing. And it's just one master shot and stuff like that. It's actually, you know, it's directed, it's lit nicely. Um, and I think, I think my favorite thing about this is I was going to save this for the end for my conclusion, but I'm going to get out of the way uh, <laughs> right now. Um, you know, by, by the 1940s, Lugosi, his parts in universal films had kind of shrunken, you know, to a lot of s- small supporting roles. I think, 
you know, House or uh, uh, Son of Frankenstein was almost his last kind of real co-star for a long time. And, you know, he was doing, you know, he's in the Wolfman and Black Friday and stuff. He's got these smaller parts. Um, even even Igor in Ghost of Frankenstein is a lesser character than he is in Son of Frankenstein. Yeah. And then he was even doing like comic relief stuff, kind of like Night Monster, Black Hat 41 and stuff. So here he gets to play a real villain again. He gets to have a lot of screen time. We get to spend a lot of time with him doing the, what he does best, you know, and and in that way, I kind of really appreciate that this film exists. Is 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 the plot? Does the plot have its hokey elements? Of course it does, but um, I, I I I enjoy the heck out of uh, just watching Bella be Bella. Yeah, and then you know you get the chance to uh, hear Bela Lugosi say the line "bombastic ignoramus." So, oh my gosh, he he has a couple lines <laughs> that are so exceptionally wonderful. The film starts uh, with a. Uh, again, it's a PRC production, uh, and it's their little fanfare kind of thing. It, this was actually their most profitable one, which I can kind of see. It was, it 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 definitely uh, elevates a little bit above a lot of the stuff that they they would put out. Um, uh, we start with a, a legend that says, "All Heathville love Paul Carruthers, their kindly village doctor," which is just great because you know already they're talking about Bella Lugosi. Yeah. And when it says they're kindly village doctor. Um, no one suspected that in his home laboratory on a hillside overlooking the magnificent estate of Martin Heath, the doctor found time to conduct certain experiments, weird, terrifying experiments. Um, there's, you know, the, the, the credits go on for a long time in this movie. And then this thing, there's like three minutes of reading involved in the beginning of this movie. Yeah, there is. <laughs> it's all, we're going to get to it, right? But, but we're, we're rewarded right after this by uh, some introductory scenes of, with just Lugosi as Paul Carruthers in his laboratory. And again, it's just being peak Lugosi is doing, you know, I was ta- we always talk about this. It's just no one does physical, like just simple tasks more interestingly than Bela Lugosi. And that's why I think he's always, you know, he's always good in, in laboratory scenes and stuff. It's all about being precise and measuring things and stuff. And you just, you'll watch the guy, you'll watch the guy do the simple thing. Like, I, I feel like you could watch Bela Lugosi make a bologna sandwich and it would be interesting, more interesting than most people making a bologna sandwich. He just has a grace that he does this with. And he gets to wear goggles in the scene too, which is Bela Lugosi yeah. goggles. Is, <laughs> to me is a win-win, right? It you is. And, and he's got, you know, it's that, that really dynamic uh, screen presence he has where it doesn't matter, you know, what he's doing or really what movie he's in. You're just automatically drawn to, to watch him. I rem- I, I've yeah, read, yeah. you know, different interviews and accounts of people who have known him and, and been with him. And he just had that personality. Even, even walking into a room, he didn't really have to say anything. You know, people said, you know, you would just, he would walk in the room and everyone would just instinctively kind of look over at, oh, who is this man that just, <laughs> just came in, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just presence. And I don't think that has to do with acting. That's just, yeah, who, who the guy was. Um, and it's what enabled him to do all these things. And, you know, we even back when very early on in the podcast, when we, we covered the Raven, I, I, I was with, uh, I was doing that episode with Scott Kelly and we were talking about there's a shot in the living room type, you know, whatever at, 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 at Lugosi's house in where they're playing the games or having the, like the sleepover and Lugosi's telling a story and his backs to camera and people are just, you know, the camera's on the people listening to him tell the story. So he's not even really on camera, but you're still captivated by Lugosi. He still dominates the, the scene, even though he's not even technically on his face isn't on camera. And that's just, you know, like I said, I, th- I think it was, it must've been challenging to be acting against Bella Lugosi. Cause I do feel like 
your what you just said, Livia, like your your attention naturally tends to gravitate towards the yes. Um, and and he's doing nothing different here than he was doing in the Raven. He's still, you know, I think he maybe had a little more time and more takes, maybe, and a little more coverage in the Raven than he did does in this. But you know, he's he's still doing he's doing the Bella thing. Um, uh, Doctor Paul Crothers, we see has a he has a like a public laboratory, and then he has his private laboratory, which is you know something we're quite well accustomed to. As, in, as any good uh, scientist uh, does. Yeah. Yes. I, I when I redid the podcast cave, you know what I forgot. <laughs> the secret laboratory. Yeah, too late now. I already did the walls. Oh well. Um, uh, he 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 has a series of doors he goes through, and when he goes up into, I assume like it's kind of the attic of his house, which can only seem to be accessed by these secret passages. Um, we see uh, Doctor Crothers has a host of bats uh, hanging from the ceiling in here. He's got kind of like a bats in his belfry up here, um, and one of them is quite large and. Uh, he, uh, Doctor Carruthers, has a, um, a little. First of all, first of all, Belly. The first real dialogue scene in this movie is between Bella Lugosi and a bat. And a bat, and, yes. And it's not, and it's not even really a real bat. It's mostly just a stuffed puppet for part of it. And he it sounds yeah, like an angry rooster too. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, the, uh, I, I want to get into the bat sounds that they decided to. Oh make. my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's somewhere between a rooster and a screaming woman, and I'm just not even good. Ah, it's just unbelievable. So perhaps also screaming goat. You never know. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Exactly. Um. Uh. So, and and in uh, our regular listeners will enjoy the callback where he he mentions that this uh this growth in its size in this bat size has been accomplished through glandular stimulation and through electric impulses. So. It's all about the glands again, everybody. <laughs> um, he takes uh, the bat down to his downstairs laboratory, which is the, the secret laboratory, not the public laboratory, uh, that he has kind of a room that he can close off, close the steel door, put on his aforementioned goggles, and uh, in, I guess bombard this bat hanging there on a coat hanger, basically, with electric impulses. Um the machines in here are actually Strickfadden machines. They're some of the same machines built by the same guy, if not the yeah. same, partially the same machines from Frankenstein, Bride of the, what you just watched, Bride of Frankenstein, or <laughs> Livio and everything, which it's an interesting, Strickfadden's an interesting uh, kind of uh, abnormality in film of this era because he, he built these sheet machines himself and he like kind of licensed them or, rented them out or, or what have you or, and ran them for the studios. But he, he didn't work for any of the one studios and he, and he ended up maintaining control of his machines, which is first of all, why I think some of them still exist because the studios obviously would have destroyed them or cannibalized them or something like that by, by now. Um, uh, but it meant that because he had this, then, then, you know, once, you know, a couple of years after they, some of them were in Bride of Frankenstein when, PRC comes along and asks him for some of those Frankenstein-like machines. He's yeah, here, here's some Frankenstein machines. So they're fantastic looking. They do not, again, they don't look like Commando Cody, King of the Zombies, you're, you're, you know, King of the Rocket Men or whatever. Uh, 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 the, the, the goofier sci-fi machines, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And, but, you know, what's interesting, I remember um, I was watching, this was a few years back, I was actually watching an episode of Quantum Leap of all things. Mm. And it's, it's one of the, you know, the plots where he like goes back and 
encounter some mad scientist trying to do time travel or something like that. Oh, and okay. and this this doctor has all this like random equipment and stuff on the yard. And I started seeing bits that looked really, really familiar, like from straight the straight forties, you know, mad scientist mm-hmm. equipment. And so, I mean, Quantum Leap was a universal produced uh produced series. And so at least it you know, as, as I guess as recent, even though it's, it's about 40 years ago now, but, uh, you know, towards the mid eighties, I still had some of the stuff, which was really yeah. interesting. So they did have some of the stuff, maybe he built them and then he built new ones for, cause I know when he died uh, or, or whatever happened, I, I, I might be getting this kind of wrong. Everybody, excuse me if I, I am. Um, but, uh, he had a bunch of stuff in his garage that I don't know if Bob Burns, got some of that and since then if if some of our notable collectors have picked them up uh you know del del toro or peter jackson or people like that uh people with first of all the space to store those things yes (laughs) not not just the money to buy them uh yeah um definitely so um but i definitely you know it's a small room so i don't know if it was intentional that like in the plot that Dr. Crothers has to be in the next room to watch the thing get bombarded, or if that was just a safety measure because there just wasn't enough space and Lugosi was too close to, would have been too close to, because there's a lot of sparks and stuff happening here. It's it's pretty it's pretty wild. They're they're going full tilt, so I don't know. It's pretty awesome. Though. It really is. I mean, you know, those uh, a lot of the original equipment from Frankenstein was also used in Young Frankenstein too, and I know Mel right. Brooks had said, you know, he just kind of had it sitting in his garage. <laughs> just, you know. that's, that, maybe that's where I know that story from. Yeah, maybe it was, it was Brooks saying that in the commentary. I remember that. Yeah. So neat. Um, again, I could honestly, I mean, the movie's great. I could almost just watch a whole movie just of Bella Lugosi doing this kind of stuff. It's, just, <laughs> it's, just, it's so, it's like, um, you know, people listen to like rainstorm sound, you know, I could just, it's just Lugosi in goggles buzzing around. It's, it's fantastic. Um, it's what he's born to do. Uh, the phone rings um, right in the middle of when he's grow- – oh, oh, and I should mention the, the bat does grow. The bat's already larger than the other bats, but now the bat has, has grown even vastly bigger. So the bat, the bat is now the size of like a turkey vulture. It's got like a seven-wingspan. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely gigantic. Maybe that's why it sounds the way it does. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we're going to see it in action pretty soon, and I, I, I can't wait to talk about this. Um, Oh, I have in my notes. Why does the phone always ring when you're in the middle of making giant bats? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. Crothers is invited down to a fancy party down the hill at uh, uh, Heath. Yeah, Martin Heath's uh, house. Um, he doesn't know what it's for. He, you know, he kind of declines, and then he gets kind of talked into it by Martin Heath, and he decides to come on down. Uh, what he doesn't know is that he's coming down to accept that they're going to give him a $5,000 bonus check. Um in, in you know recognition of his services so in a in, in kind of some good writing in a, in a roundabout way what we what we learn because we didn't weren't told this in the introduction is that dr carruthers works for martin heats it's basically like a cosmetics company um it's a very successful cosmetics company and as you know we're, we we learn more about his backstory with martin heath as the film goes on in a, in a very good, you know, kind of it, the slow drip kind of fashion of, of, of t- telling the audience more and more and more as the film goes. Um, and, uh, and in so learning that we, we learn his motivation as well, which is, it's, it's, I, I think it's pretty well done. So, you know, uh, um, 
uh, but but uh, so so he's invited down for to get the check for five thousand dollars. But uh, Doctor Carruthers has some other plans. Um, he is developing a. It's a shaving. They call it a shaving lotion. It's basically aftershave. This is what we call aftershave now, I believe. Yeah, I can only imagine because it's not lotion really. It's a it's a liquid. It's a clearish like kind of green maybe whatever liquid uh so it's basically i'm going to keep calling it shaving lotion because that's what they called it in the thing but i believe that's it is what we would now call aftershave which i don't use so i don't know much about so there we go yeah, same um, here <laughs> uh lugosi is well i have a beard right now so of course i don't know much about aftershave um uh uh lugosi carruthers is i'm going to be calling him lugosi throughout the thing as usual everybody so you know um he he's using a like he he dips a cotton swab in this this chemical and he puts it basically in front of the bat's nose. Um, and what he's doing is basically teaching the bat. <laughs> the bat hates this smell and he refers to it as this strange oriental fragrance. His words uh, at the time. Um, the bat apparently hates this smell, and it apparently makes the bat want to attack anything that has this scent on it. And this is what. Dr. Crothers' plan is going to be is is to uh, anybody that he has decided to get out of his way, take revenge on, what have you, he's going to um, put the scent on them and they're going to be, you know, uh, a target of his giant bat. This is his thing. And and it it's like, we'll pause a moment here. I think I think the film's silliest element it's also it's 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 most wonderful one too i mean i just think this plot is just the plot is absurd <laughs> yes but it's just so absurd it's just kind of wonderful right it's it's so much fun it's yeah you know the i guess my one from the start my uh my one i guess i won't say my one but i guess my biggest uh criticism in, in the plot is that it's not exactly clear um exa- you know what his what is like heartache is you know what is his ultimate motivation you know yeah. you just you you get the sense that you know he oh he's wronged by these people and you know it's only towards the end of the movie that you get a little bit more and to be honest it doesn't make Lugosi's character look that that fantastic you know i think back to no, some of the yeah. uh columbia uh, mad scientist pictures they made with Boris Karloff and those, you know, it was always like really, it was very obvious, you know, like he, he was somebody who was trying this, you know, e- experiment on someone and they, they mistakenly died because he was stopped and he couldn't, you know, perform. So he's ro- performed his experience. So he's wrongly accused and put on trial and so on and so forth. You know, there in movies like that, you know, you had a very clear, oh no, this is a good guy. He's just, he was wronged by yeah, these yeah, people. Yeah. You don't really, I don't, this, I mean, yeah, the, he's not, I mean, he's not, Carruthers is not sympathetic here. He's like, he's just a villain. No, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you get like, like they do explain. So, so, you know, that we'll, we'll, you know they they do eventually explain that so so the the Heath Cosmetics f- f- entire company was built upon this one uh, greaseless skin something that that Carruthers invented, um, and Carruthers Heath and Heath's partner uh, Norton right yeah Morton sorry yeah um, it's like they were all three partners and at the at the beginning but then they 
they needed this formula from from Carruthers, and Carruthers sold it to them for $10,000 rather than taking a percentage in the company, which is the thing he should have done because obviously he would, he would have made quite a lot more money. And this is the source of his um, uh, resentment, uh, yes. even, even to the point where when they give him the $5,000 check, he's like, you're giving me the money I, I made you. You're giving me my own money back to me and stuff. Um, which it makes sense. It's a you know okay. It's a good. It's a whatever. Um, the problem is, and I always I always talk about this in some of the other episodes is like greed is just such a not a interesting motivation to me. No, personally, <laughs> like like it just doesn't. Okay, like he he wants more money. He kind of wants revenge, but the revenge is based on money. So you know, I, I just feel like you know, Igor in Son of Frankenstein's you know motivation and plot is so much more complex and layered and interesting and stuff and of course i'm, I'm comparing the devil bat to one of the most <laughs> universal movies ever, so. but just to make the point uh, yeah yeah uh, you know it's it's that um so, so that i mean that that is actually my only real problem with the movie i love the bat and i love the the, the bat on the wire and i love the shaping lotion gag and it's just i think it's just it's inventive and there's no other movie like it so okay i mean I, which they kind of did the Son of the Devil, Devil Bat Daughter, Devil Bat's Daughter, right? They, yeah. This movie actually has a sequel to it. Um, I have not seen that movie. I might have to. I have not either. It. I think it has a, uh, even has a remake that came after that where they, they essentially tried to do they it. They remade like, this as the Flying Serpent. Yes. Yeah, there you I've go. I've never seen that either. So, yeah, I haven't either. You know, uh, but uh, from what I've read, or, yeah, because I admittedly know hard next to nothing about the production or background of this, this movie, but, um, yeah. you know, 1940. Again, this is this is around the time you know Karloff was still. I mean, he was winding down, but he's still active in in Colombia and and some of those pictures. Yeah. Um, the Black Cat, or I'm sorry, Black Friday came out in 1940. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of kind of similar esque movies um, around the same time, and I think this was one of the oh. higher um, grossing films for PRC. Which is this, yeah, this why they tried to redo big, it. Big, you know? Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So they obviously tried to redo it after the war. I think it was like forty four, forty five, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think I don't know if they continue making movies throughout the war or, or not. But um, but you see, like the, I mean, PRC made a lot of movies. They made a lot of low budget movies. They just cranked it out. They were based. They were like the Roger Corman of their era. They were like the Asylum now, which. Not to not to not to insult the asylum because they just put out my latest <laughs> movie. <laughs> so so the asylum's awesome, but yeah. I'm just saying they they were known for a certain thing, and most, it was a lot of westerns too. Like you look up um, some of the actors in this, and they did a lot of other PRC stuff, and they did like they did like thirty movies a year. I mean, they just cranked them out because they did them fast and cheap, and that's you know they it was like quantity over quality basically, and that's kind of what they're known for. So, but I, but this one definitely stands out. Their, their sets are better, their lighting's better, everything. Um, uh, we go to, so, so at the party at Heath's, uh, where Heath and Morton are there, they're there with, uh, Heath's two sons, Roy and Thomas, I think, Tommy. Um, and then, uh, Morton has a son as well. And, and Heath has a daughter named Mary. And as far as I can make sense of it, Morton's son is in, is into Mary. Uh, it's like they grew up together, the the you know family friends and stuff, and he's into Mary, um, while Tommy and Roy are you know off you know, you know whatever. Um, it's confusing because all the actors playing all three of these 
characters all look incredibly similar. They all dress similarly. They sound like it's, I have no idea who's who sometimes of watching the movie. I really got confused, but as far as I can figure out, that's the dynamic. Um, and this is going to be important because Carruthers' revenge is going to start through the heirs of, um, Keith and Morton. Um, so this is going to factor in to the point where when Carruthers re- refuses the invitation to come down, um, Roy Heath offers to go up the hill to his lab. Again, Carruthers' laboratory is right up the hill, basically kind of kind of in Heath's backyard, practically, like up the hill, because he can cut through the garden to get there, which is why they're always back and forth. It's like it's like the Ropers and Three's Company or something. They're just yeah. all back and forth. Through the um, yes, I just compared the devil bat to three's company. Um, so Roy offers to go up and take the check to him and, and, you know, be a nice guy. And he does that. And, um, you know, Carruthers is, he feigns being very touched and everything. And then he offers Roy, Roy, uh, uh, he, why can't I remember their last name? Um, he offers him to, you know, to sample this new shaving lotion he's created, uh, in so doing, obviously, you know, he's going to make him the target for, for the bat. So this is, this is, uh, this is Carruthers putting his plan into, into action now. Like it's, you know, up until now it's all been plotting. Now it's actually, you know, the real deal. So, you know, he's, he's committed. Um, and so we're going to have our first bat attack, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is just, just exceptional. Um, it looks like, I mean, well, first of all, they, they filmed, so in the scene, all the scenes where the bat attacks anybody, there are quite a few shots of the bat uh, flying through the air and then kind of swooping down, uh, kind of sometimes swooping almost right at camera. And it's obviously on wires. Uh, and I, they did it very much like uh, I just re- recently mentioned uh, Commando Cody, the, the, the zombies of the stratosphere, the serial um, uh, with the. That, that inspired the, the Rocketeer. Basically, it's that guy with the helmet and the rocket pack who flies around and fights spies and everything, right, guys? Oh, yeah. um, it's maybe one of the best known serials, uh, you know, of the 30s and 40s. Um, and a lot of times they would use a miniature figure on wires to zoom across the sky. And and it's like it's like that thing where sometimes you can see the wires, but sometimes you kind of can, and sometimes it, the the effect uh, how does it comes dangerously close to working. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like not, not totally. I mean, it's, they're working with the effects of the time, but, um, I mean, look, some of the bat scenes in Dracula 31 don't exactly, you know, totally sell <laughs> as, well, as yeah. realistic. I don't, I don't think that's a, that's a, generic. so it's, it's the era of the time, you know? I mean, yeah, even so look at son of Dracula three years after this. I mean, it could be also because that's been, oh, you know, yeah, remastered yeah. in Blu-ray and, you know, yeah. pristine quality. I mean, There's you can this. see the wires, yeah. you know, yeah, you, yeah. Invisible, um, visible man's revenge. You know, when at the very end, you can clearly see wires picking up this actor, for sure. <laughs> you know, as yeah. the invisible yeah. man supposed to do it. And, you know, you know, in a way, maybe this film benefits a little bit just from the fact that, um, the, the, the only versions I could find of this, I, I actually, I, I bought this on Blu-ray, um, uh, for in a, in a collection that has like a lot of these films that, that are in public domain now, I believe. Um, uh, and then I, that, that Blu-ray didn't play very well on my Blu-ray player. So I'm, it's actually on, by the way, everybody, uh, this film is on YouTube for free. Um, and you're not violating anybody's copyright because it passed in the, the public domain. So, uh, if you just 
YouTube, you know, search the devil, bad Bela Lugosi. Uh, yeah, you can watch the whole movie. Um, uh, guilt free. But, but the fact being that, that I, if, if a really good print of this film exists, nobody has taken the time to scan it in at 4k, like, like scream factory has not done a pristine <laughs> Blu-ray, you know, a, restored version of the devil bat as of yet maybe they'll get to it i would it'd be awesome um uh like like they have black cat dracula son of dracula what have you so so you're not seeing it at the at, as good a version of it and as good a res- resolution which is maybe why the bat sells better because yeah probably fine <laughs> wires right you're not you're not really seeing, seeing better um, who knows um i neglected to say so so after roy leaves we have this cool scene where where uh, Carruthers is looking, staring at the check that, that he just handed him. And, you know, we have this voiceover and it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like Bella Lugosi's inside interior voice, right? <laughs> like, like, you know, you want, you know, they want you to come down to their house and thank you for the money that you made for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His that, inner monologue. That, that was your money they gave you. Yeah, his inner monologue. It's just great. And then he starts laughing at him at himself. It's, it's just so. <laughs> Um, I get, you know, it's, 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 it's Lugosi's and just to reiterate this one more time, we ad nauseum here, but it's Lugosi's ability to take what is kind of ridiculous and sell it just based on his, in his ability to just invest in it and find, um, I mean, every actor, you're kind of trying to find the truth of what you're saying. That's just the point of it so that you can, you know, be inside the, the character, not acting it, you're being it. That's the whole point of at least that's how actors explain it to me on set. I don't know. <laughs> I just, I just tell them where to stand. Um, but, but Lugosi's ability to take even the most, you know, even sillier stuff than this and, and sell it and be earnest with it is just, you know, one of the gifts he, he had that he, he's left us in all these films and, and he does, and he does it here just as well. So um, now we're going to get up to the bad attack. <laughs> um, so he has to go through the whole secret passage thing, through the wall, down the hallway, up the stairs, to, to the, the bat cave, right? Um, the bat cave? he opens the window. And yeah, right. <laughs> he opens the window and lets his thing go. Can we just talk about, like, like I mean, part of the wonderful thing about this movie is it, it, it basically reunites Bela Lugosi and bats. Like, when's, Mar- when's Mark of the Vampire? 35. Or, yeah, 35. So, yes, it's before this. Is that the last time he was in a movie with a bat? I'm not sure. Um, uh, but it just, it, it's a, it's a, it's a combination that seems to just make sense, obviously, just because of, you know, where Lugosi exists in the zeitgeist of our culture. Like, yeah, of course it's a Lugosi and a bat, you know. Um, uh, some of the close-ups of the bat uh, in kind of a murders in the Rue Morgue uh, uh, style, uh, obviously the wider shots are a dummy bat and the closer shots are of, I I want to say it's probably a flying fox, um, which is a bat, uh, but they're they're the big fuzzier kind of ones. You guys might have seen photos or video of them. They're very adorable. Um, you see photo- videos of them eating bananas and stuff. They're not obviously dangerous at all. They're they're fruit eaters. Um, uh, the bats flying out of the window of of uh, Doctor Crowther's house are obviously not real. <laughs> they are <laughs> some of the, some of those bats don't really pass inspection though they 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 look a little bit like someone just was throwing them physically out the window and they use this in in kind of i will say republican serial style they they do use that that those shots of the bats coming out of the window over and over again it's it's 
one or two shots and they just kind of recycle every every time the bat flies out. But no different than they used Adam West and Burt Ward coming out of, in the Batmobile out of the Batcave in the 60s TV show. You know, they just... It, you're not going to reshoot that every every episode. You, you're going to shoot it a few times and, and use it every time. Anyway. Right. Um, Roy is uh, just back home, and the bat does soar down and attack him. And, I, you know, like I said, like, some of, the, some of the bits where he kind of, like, comes swooping down towards the camera, you're kind of like, I could, I can imagine how terrifying that would be if you saw a real bat doing, of that size doing that, or I guess any size, but yikes. Um, <laughs> Especially it, screaming the way it does. It, I was going to say, it's the sound that really does make it a little bit silly. The, the, whoever chose the sounds we were going to dub over, the screechy sounds, not only of like when it's swooping in for the kill, but also like just swooping around and making noises and stuff. Um, yeah, it definitely sounds like, a, you're right, like kind of a goat, kind of a hysterical woman, anything, anything but a bat. Like, you know, the, the squeaky sounds we associate with a bat, it's, 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 Definitely not like that. It, it's like the goat that they they put into the. Is it a Miley Cyrus video? Have you seen that? Where it's I, like, nope, I wouldn't know that it, one. <laughs> it, it, I don't know anything about Miley Cyrus, but there's some of you guys at home I, and ladies might be familiar with it. Someone took one of her pop song videos and they they cut in every time she stops. They they cut in this goat screaming, and for <laughs> the longest time I thought it was like the real version of the thing. It works perfectly. It's incredible, but it's a goat screaming that sounds exactly like a person screaming. Goat screaming are really unnervingly close to whatever. So anyway, um, my guess is they had something in a library and used it. And instead of re-recording something new, just based on, I think how these movies for the studios of this level were, were made. So anyway, that's my thing. So, um, but, uh, Carruthers plan obviously has worked. The, the, he, he doused Roy with the, uh, the, the lotion and the bat swooped in and kills him. And then ironically, Carruthers is called down to check on the body. Uh, and he, you know, when, when Heath and everybody else is gathered around and he's like, nope, he's dead. Um, they severed his jugular and it's just awful looking. They obviously never show the, the actual damage that the bat does. But um, when the bat swoops down and attacks people, it does look kind of like he's coming in to give him a, a big hug. I got to say, but it's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess it's like it's like a bear coming in to give you a free hug. Like it, it still wouldn't work out very well for you. Um, so that's. The thing. Um, okay. We cut to uh, the big town. I believe it's supposed to be Chicago uh, and the newspaper, the Daily Register. Uh, Johnny Layden is a reporter for the Register. Um, and he has uh, what anybody watching who's a fan of movies from this era understands as as a conflict-based relationship with his editor. He's always in trouble with his editor. It's just sort of – it was sort of a trope that just was a thing. Uh, uh, in these, we, we see it all the time. We saw it in um, – uh, uh, Return of Doctor X. We saw it in, yes. in uh, uh, Mystery of the Wax Museum. We see it. We see it all the time. It's it's a well established thing. I guess to some degree, even like it carries into Superman the movie where Perry White is always upset at Jimmy Olsen. You know, and always <laughs> badgering him and stuff. I guess it's again, I, like I say, some things are tropes because they always work. And there you go. Um, I didn't know this. So uh, uh, Joe McGinty is the actor who plays. Uh, his editor and Joe McKinty was the original voice of Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd, yeah. And he, before, you can kind before of. I, I think Mel Blanc took over at some point. Cause I, I do remember some of those early ones. Elmer Fudd's voice is a little different and strange, yeah. but yeah. So you can and kind of hear it too. Yeah. But yeah, he does. He does look like, he not only sounds like him, he looks like him. <laughs> can you imagine 
can you imagine getting yelled at constantly by your boss and it sounds just like Elmer Fudd and you have to like <laughs> kind of take it seriously and stuff. I would be very quickly fired. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can't laugh. Um, uh, the, uh, the news of the the bad attack on Roy has has, or the, I should say, the the news of the attack on Roy has gone to the big city, and he's going to dispatch Johnny as well as one shot McGuire, uh, the photographer, uh, to to this little town of Yar. No, not Yarbrough, Heathville. Heathville. Oh, it's called yeah. Heathville because of Heath. That makes sense. That just occurred to me. Okay. <laughs> the more you know. Here's me catching up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Thanks for waiting for Jim. He's, he's here now. Um, uh, he's going to dispatch them to go uh, figure out what, what's going on here and cover the story. Um, it's one of those – we're talking about tropes, and it's another one of those weird ones where Johnny is a reporter, and he's sent to, like, cover a story, but it gets a little he, – he seems to be very instantly deputized by the chief of police – and and he may, even makes mention a couple times of trying to solve the the murder, like the movie. It's almost like the movie gets it confused that he's a reporter and not a policeman or detective. <laughs> he even has a gun. I'm not sure why he's a reporter with the, with a gun. Well, I, mean, and, I don't care. That's great. It it works. I mean, but like, yeah, it, it, it's like wow. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It is it is a trope. I mean, you see it. I mean, even just if you limit it to just horror films in general. I mean. Yeah. Like the mad ghoul, you know, a reporter catches on before the police do. Um, yes. I mean, just, it, there, there's so many different movies. Some of the mummy sequels, kind of the same thing, you know, the reporters yeah, catch yeah. on to it and, <laughs> yeah. and it, all that. It's, a th- it's just a thing that, that I don't think anyone in the era would have batted their eyelash at. They're, they're just, okay, well, the reporter gets caught up in it and he's going to help solve the thing. So we can root for reporters, which is, hey, you know, that's great. I mean, I think, I, I, I will say as, as far as, occupations go i I think johnny makes a better detective than he does a reporter because one of the first things he does is is fake a photograph and get it published in his newspaper that's 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 completely a lie and it gets him in all this trouble you're like yeah you know yeah that that was not the right thing to do that was the wrong thing to do he's he's, he kind of he he like he his one real act of journalism is is basically journalistic malfeasance pretty much (laughs) okay um, it was another time, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Charles, Charles Foster Kane owned the newspapers and he printed the news that he wanted to print. I don't know. Uh, what are we going to do? Uh, but again, as I was saying, he's a very good detective because he's pretty quickly figures out that it might be a giant bat. No one else believes it could be a bat. They think it might be a giant bird. They think it could be an eagle. They think, you know, nah, nah, nah. um, the, the chief of, 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 uh, police is is not really sure um by the way he's played by hal price and and donald kerr plays one shot mcguire donald kerr was uh in a bunch of stuff he was in the monster and the girl he was in Abbott costello meet jack and hyde he was in he was in like 80 movies in one year at some point like 1940 1941 or something like that most of them uncredited so he was just i mean i think i think he was kind of did a lot of background what we would call background work now which they used to call being an extra we don't say that anymore um I guess insulting. I was. I've been corrected sometimes, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but then I mean, here at least he definitely gets. A, I mean, he's forty nine in this movie, so he's you know he's been doing this for a while. This actor and um, and he gets a great bit as as you know they have they have a good rapport. They you know it's a very funny 
you know, back and forth and stuff, but they're kind of a team. They're kind of getting in trouble together. They, they have victories together. It's a, it's a good, uh, you know, Johnny and, and one shot. We never learn one shot's real first name. It's just one shot. Um, uh, so, uh, he arranges to go meet Mary and, uh, you know, with one shot. And one of the first things that happens is, is, uh, one shot falls in love with Maxine, uh, Mary, or the Heath's servant lady, uh, maid, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know what the appropriate term for, for, she seems to do a little bit of, most of what she does is actually flirt with one shot. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's this kind of like side romance going, obviously Johnny and Mary are going to fall for each other. Uh, and though their relationship will have its ups and downs until the end of the movie. But you have this sort of secondary relationship with, with one shot and, and Maxine, which is actually, actually like, it's not just extra, it plays into the plot. I mean, there's, there, there's a plot point to it. So it's great. Um, uh, yeah, so Johnny's trying to figure out what's going on to, to, with Mary. Carruthers shows up just walking through the backyard as, as, as he's has have to. But but we definitely get the feeling that Carruthers is trying to keep uh, Johnny, the reporter, obviously like away from Mary and away in general because you know he he's obviously there investigating the murder and Carruthers' interests are not served by the murder being being solved of course um so you know there's that um but you know we get just a hint of lugosi getting to do the dr volin thing yes uh, where where he's he's a mad scientist and then he's got this facade of this like charming doctor you know he's a little, he's a little more quaint in this than than he in more intense in in the raven say you know obviously but um, you know, he gets to do those two things where you can, you do, you do start believing that Heathville has, in general, the town has no idea that this guy is capable of doing all these things because he's very cordial and polite and, you know, he has that, that thing with him and stuff like that. He, he just has sort of strange moments of like staring off into space and everything. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just Lugosi's ability to, to play the, the psychopath in disguise, which is always great. This does, um, I mean, his performance here definitely has a lot of, I mean, I won't say callbacks in terms of like dialogue or anything, but just the way he, he conducts himself and, and mm. it really does remind me a lot of his performance as Dr. Volum in The Raven. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think it's like kind of a, a interesting, it shares a lot of, uh, you know, commonality. Um, uh, of, of course, of course one shot has snuck off and he's trying to take photos of Maxine's legs. And so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's the first beat in their, in their relationship. I don't know much about Yolanda, uh, Malo. I hope I'm saying her name correctly. Um, she, she is, uh, I, she seemed to play ethnic types a lot in the, in the day that was kind of her slot in the roles, you know, of the era. I know she's in one of the Tarzan movies. That's for sure. So, um, and she plays like, uh, she doesn't play Jane. Let's just say, right? She plays some native type type character, I, I, I believe, in the thing. So it, it seems like the kind of part she did quite a bit. But she's absolutely stunning. She's lovely. Um, uh, Johnny and One Shot decide to to stake out the place the next night, looking for the killer. Um, but and by staking out, they just sit on a. They're sitting on a bench. <laughs> um, they're still again. They're not sure about. Um, if it's, if it's an animal, if it's a bat, if it's, if it's whatever. Um, but, uh, Mary shows up 
to uh, to uh, to keep them company. Apparently, she's been she's curious and she's out looking for this thing too. Meanwhile, Tommy's been invited up to <laughs> Carruthers' house. Um, Tommy seems to be the I don't know how to say this. Tommy seems to be the most confident and least intelligent of any of the yes, absolutely <laughs> the, the the Heath Morton offspring. Uh, I don't know. Like they all have jobs at the company, right? Like, and I think Tommy's in charge of something, maybe advertising or, or something like that. He he's very he is flashy. He seems to have like a really snazzy suit, and he really likes the he really likes slathering on the the lotion, obviously. So you get the feeling maybe he's a bit of a ladies' man or something. But um, he uh, yeah. So he's but but the, the important thing being he slathers on the lotion, and he's like, all right, you know, hey, maybe we're going to turn this into a thing. So Carruthers is selling this as like, oh, I'm working on this for you guys. This is going to be your next big hit. This it's almost like this is going to be the follow up to the thing that made you all all this money and stuff. So they're you know they're the 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 Heaths and the and the and the Morns, you know, they they seem genuine in that they they appreciate Carruthers. Like they treat him well, they treat him respectfully. They, they, they don't treat him like an employee. They treat him like a bit of a peer, but with this understanding that he's a bit of an eccentric scientist, and you know that's why he doesn't show up to things and stuff when he gets caught up in his experiments and stuff. So, so Crudz is able to use that eccentricity as a mask for you know what he's trying to put up to. Um, the 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 nice moment is when Tommy accidentally or not um, sort of casually touches. Carruthers' sleeve with the hand that has all the, the or the or splashes splashes his sleeve with the the lotion <laughs> and Carruthers recoils yeah like like inadvertently and then he kind of has to cover he's like oh I I have an allergy to these scents or things like that which it's seems like seems like he went into a bad profession if if that's the case um, <laughs> like be like I don't know being a hockey player if you're afraid of ice or something i'm not, I'm not sure how that works but anyway um what's uh well yeah what's what's funny though is so you know it, it kind of like splashes on him and he has this like reaction like oh my god you know and you know of course the viewer knows why but then almost immediately after he shakes his hand the same hand that he saw, was, yes. was pouring the the stuff in just with yeah. it, like yeah. no you know, like nothing bad could have happened, but then he immediately ditches the jacket. <laughs> he ditches the jacket, but he doesn't throw his hand away, of course. You know? Yeah, it doesn't wash his he hands or anything. Yeah. And, and he does actually go immediately up to where the bats are. So, yeah, there's yeah. a little bit of like, a, yeah, okay, all right, you know. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, but but I like that there's this moment where, you know, it's Bella Gussie getting splashed with the liquid and recoiling. So there's this just a, a hint of holy water and vampire, you yeah. know, kind of thing there. It's just, again, like I, you know, I, for a guy who quite a lot in his career played uh, slightly altered iterations of the character that made him famous, Lugosi was always able to like define each of those characters into something slightly different. Like he really rarely, with the exception, I guess, of Mark of the Vampire, um, like, like really precisely quoted Dracula. He, he managed to, embody that same thing in a lot of different uh, uh, guises, which is another, you know, a, accomplishment in its own way. Um, the only time he really displayed the uh, essence of, of his version of Dracula was um, anytime he played a vampire, you know, so like yeah. you said, Mark of the Vampire, Return of the Vampire. Um, but apart from that, I mean, you're right. He did really make every single role he did just kind of its own, its own separate thing, right. you know, like, I don't think of Dr. Volan and Dr. Vertigast 
from The Raven and the Black Cat is there, I don't see Dracula in either one of those. I don't see similarities in no. either one of those. I don't see anything in Igor except for Igor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So well, Igor is definitely, yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of one off, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He just, he, he made every part individual while, like, I guess what we're trying to say is for a guy who was, who was typecast, he, he, he never parodied himself really that much. Like, like he, you know, I mean, until he gets to Ed Wood, I guess, but okay. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> still, he manages to, I mean, I think the miracle of his, his work with Ed Wood is that in the middle of like all the silliness of, of Ed Wood movies, which not all of them are as bad as they're made out to be. Some of them are pretty enjoyable. Um, there's still these flashes of, of Lugosi doing Lugosi in these, you know, in these, in these very goofball movies. Um, there's this, there's this man, suddenly there's this incredibly talented actor taking this thing dead serious, taking this ridiculous thing dead serious in the middle of Bride of the Monster, you know, and the, the famous speech. And you're just like, yes. wow, okay. <laughs> like, the, like something showed up. It's just, it's, uh, and again, like we're saying, that's, that's the gift he left us. Um, yeah. um, uh, so, oh, oh, and, and so as, as, Tommy leaves. Now Mary shows up at the at the thing, um, and of course, you know, as we see the bat flying out. So now, you know, what's fun is, uh, we know our our heroes are in danger, right? Johnny and 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 one shot, but Mary's in danger too. So she's out there. You know, there's this this risk to her, um, but we know that that really the real risk is to Tommy because he's the one with the the thing on. Um, uh, of course, he thinks the the whole animal attack thing is ridiculous. He kind of laughs him off, and he kind of like like he and uh, he and Johnny don't mesh from the start. There's there's no. obviously some kind of something there, and uh, you know I don't I don't know what that's supposed to if that's it could if there's just, a subtext there I'm not catching, or if it's just yeah I I he always he's after his sister. I don't know. It could be, or just maybe there's just some inherent you know. Um, uh, Carruthers is the bad guy, and so there's yeah you you'd have this natural uh, not opposition, but just natural I guess wariness or your guard up around mm-hmm. you know a, a bad guy so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, his uh, Tommy's Tommy's lack of belief in in the bat doesn't save him from getting attacked by the bat. <laughs> yeah, and and, uh, and taken out. Um, in the same in the same way as his brother. Um, as it's escaping, this is where we see Johnny suddenly pull out a handgun and, <laughs> and, and, and blast at it a couple times, which we're going to see him, you're going to see him fire off that handgun a couple times in the movie. Sometimes not at all safely, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, uh, like when it's on one shot, he just starts shooting it a bunch of times and like the thing's not that big and it's on his friend and he's just firing away. And he, 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 I guess he's, I guess he's confident in how good a shot he is because he does not actually shoot his friend. He shoots the bat. So spoilers, everybody. That's the end of the movie. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, I just saw that one shot. I like with the, of the bat just swooping around at the, at the, at the thing. Um, uh, it's great. So with, with Tommy dead now, um, Johnny's starting to, I, I, you know, he, he, he comes to it better towards the end of the movie, but I think he's starting to see uh rather than you know random animal attacks he's starting to see like there's there's some kind of pattern here because why does the bat just keep attacking and once it attacks mary of course why does the bat just keep attacking the heirs to this this uh these these two families so you know there's that but the fact is they have seen the bat um mary 
one shot and Johnny, of course, Tommy, who's dead. So they're the only ones who like have physically seen the thing. His editor doesn't, his editor McGinty doesn't believe him. He wants them to come back right away. Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, cease this reporting. At some point there's been a mention they've been there for like a, after this, it, they're there in Heathfield for like weeks or at some point, which like on the company payroll, it seems like a, a lot of time to be, to spend your, one of your reporters reporting on one story. If you're not like, you know, deep cover investigative journalism, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I have a note. The bat killings are sort of equal parts hilarious and terrifying. Yes, they are. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's that it's that it, the sound is chilling. Like the 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 screech thing they make is actually like horrifying to listen to. It it, I, it while it doesn't sound, I guess, like a bat. It it is pretty. It does. Pretty, it does not. Um, it, it is a bit unsettling, and they also have, like cranked up the volume of that specific you know yeah. effect. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It really hits you. Yeah, it's so funny. Um, uh. The so so the editor wanted him to come back if they don't get proof of, of you know he wants a photo of the bat to prove that before he runs the story, um, but he finally agrees to to run the story. But he says you've got to get me a picture of the bat. So this is what inspires Johnny to come up with the, the plan to f- go have have one shot go to a, a taxidermist and get what have him build him a bat. They're basically going to like build a fake bat and put it on a wire and get a photo of it. Um, which as I said, is, is that's not good journalist. My brother was a journalist and, and that's not good journalistic practice. I can tell you for right now, that's, that, that is how you do get fired and that's how you ruin your reputation. And stuff. You just, yes. There's, there's this whole thing about facts, right? <laughs> Truth. <laughs> everything. Um, yeah, it's bad journalism, but, but there, you know, I guess in his defense, Johnny Johnny knows what they saw is real, um, and he's just trying to prove it to you know to to so that they can keep pursuing the story. Um, uh, there, uh, so so he does print the 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 thing about the 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 bat, and you know there's all sorts of you know the Peoria Gazette picks it up and everything. So now now like the the the, the devil bat is now public knowledge uh, uh, that this is happening. Um, uh, and to support it, yeah, yeah, Johnny and, and one shot are going to, to fake a photo of the bat. So that's, that's going to be the next thing. Meantime, uh, Morton's kid, Donald, his name's Donald Morton. Donald Morton is, <laughs> what I love is they cut, <laughs> they cut to a shot of him in front of his mirror in his bathroom, putting aftershave on. Yeah. And then they cut to like, the, the obituary in the paper of him dead and you're just like they don't even have to show that you know what happens but it, but it's not to not to say it's fun but you're kind of like oh it's just kind of like oh there he's another done. one all, yeah all you have to see <laughs> like it's a shorthand it's it's good filmmaking it's very expedient it's 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 funny and it's you know it's you don't know enough about this guy to really feel that bad for him so you're kind of like, all you know is that he was after mary and and mary doesn't really like him that that way and Johnny and Mary have like some chemistry, so you're kind of like, well, that's he's that way. Okay. <laughs> um, Wing monster slays new Heathfield victim. Donald Morton, son of Henry Morton. Yes. Well-to-do manufacturer of Heathfield was fatally wounded last night. So there you go. Um, this is this is the moment that, and it's a key moment because this is the moment where Johnny, um, 
actually gains access to he actually does some like sleuthing um uh he gains access to donald morton's bathroom and he gets the, the jar of the stuff he was putting on him and this is where johnny starts making the the connection of like you know what i think it's this has something to do with it Meanwhile, one shot is having having Maxine help him with his bat on a wire that I mean, is it crazy to think that the entire inspiration for this little subplot of of Johnny and one shot faking a fake bat on a wire was inspired by the fact that they were using a bat on a wire and they somehow thought, well, what if we work that into the it sounds like it seems like a producer's idea to me. I've got I have to be honest yeah. about this because it's it's really not that good a, a plot point, and it and it makes us not like Johnny a little bit, which is confusing. Like it 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 does drive a wedge between him and Mary, which is I guess dramatically interesting. But um, yeah, I'm not sure. But but it does seem like they're actually using the bat they used in the movie. It looks a little faker, actually. I don't know. Like it. The the real bad in the movie, its wings do sort of bob a little bit. It's got a little bit of life to it, and this thing looks like a little more crude. So I don't know, but um, but it does it. You know, it 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 gets uh one shot in trouble because the cops show up. The, the chief shows up, I should say, just as he's photographing this bat and and shoots the bat, and one shot's now in trouble be, because. The, the chief doesn't know. Like, are you faking this whole thing with the bat? Do you know? Are you involved in this? What is what is happening with all this? So, um, yeah. Now, now we're we've got a little wrinkle in the thing, and Johnny kind of has to get him out of trouble and say, "Oh, and you know, he were he were we were just trying to, um, you know, figure out how the bat might work or something." And you know, kind of wink, wink, gets him out of there and stuff. But um, yeah, it's a, the 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 story takes takes a quick little detour and then and then very quickly writes itself back up. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, that's, um, and I kind of touched on this earlier. You know, it, it's, I guess for for movies like this, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm more used to, or, or my expectation would be more of like a very cut and dry, good guy, bad guy type thing. It, it gets a little yeah. funky, and then kind of corrects itself at the very end. <laughs> gets a little gray. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, kind of more like I, I not to I just make a random connection is like the monster and the girl where like like there's a little bit of gray area of like who's who's really good and who's tragic and who's bad. And, who's yeah. not, you know, you're right. Like kind of challenges just that very basic idea of like white hats, black hats, what have you. Um, uh, uh, again, yeah, he's he's Johnny's found the shaving lotion and stuff. And he tells the, the, the chief he gives it to the chief and the chief's like, oh, that's what we smelled on the victims. So. Now the connection. Now, now he knows this has something to to do with this whole thing. Um, uh, I get. I, I guess they. I guess one shot did manage to get a photo of the fake bat because, in the conclusion of this bit of the the plot, just really going into this. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, they've they've sent off the photo. They've retouched the photo to remove the wires, which I think is a, is a bit <laughs> of an in, I definitely think is a bit of an injury of the thing because I do think they they went in and removed some of the wires from these shots too. And that's a optically that is a very painstaking process where you have to go into just about every frame and very gently remove these very thin wires and stuff. It used to be done a lot. Uh, there are people who are very very good at it, 
And when you had enough time to do it, it was done really well, just like in, in the original Invisible Man. Fun, um, yeah. Fun, they had Photoshop back then. <laughs> I mean, dig, digital changed that so quickly and easily, and it was, yeah, exactly. It's much easier now. But, yeah, in the old days, uh, talented folks had to do that. Um, with with chemicals that did not smell very good in, in poorly lit or poorly ventilated uh, places, I should mention. Yes, I've, I've done stuff kind of like that in, the, in, in my earlier part of my career before digital really became a thing. Um, the problem is uh, there's a radio broadcast and they bring in this professor who knows a lot about animals uh, and who doesn't believe in the devil bad. And uh, they've shown him a photo of this, this fake bat that they created. And he catches the fact that they had, they left, when they built the fake bat, they left a label on one of the fur things uh, that says made in Japan. Um, so that goes out all over. Uh, obviously they've embarrassed themselves. They've embarrassed their newspaper and, uh, they are summarily fired for the thing. Um, uh, and then, uh, the side, other side effect is Mary is, uh, mad at him now because yeah. she feels kind of like he was kind of making a joke or, or mocking, you know, her two brothers are dead. This is, you know, while the film doesn't spend a whole lot of time on like mourning the lost, people in these families um uh she's quite she's very understandably angry about this so that you know it makes it makes sense um and like i said so so for all that plot stuff at the very least it does add a little layer of a look at i mean it's a 60 something movie you do need enough plot to fill that all up and you know the 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 narrative of this is is pretty straightforward so you know any any good little character moment hey whatever um uh I like the chief, you know, he, he, every once in a while in one of these movies, you get the rare, uh, competent small town sheriff or, or police captain, you know, and who's not a bumbling yokel or whatever. And I think the chief, you know, he's not, he's not Sherlock Holmes, but I think he, he's not, uh, the Keystone cops either. Right. Like he's, he seems to actually know somewhat of what he's doing. Um, uh, and 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 while he's not, you know, the the deductive mind of the century, you know, he he definitely has. Uh, yeah, he's uh, not like overly bumbling or you know just like a, a waste of a yeah. <laughs> of a yeah, badge. He's not there for anything. comic relief. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, he's not Shimp Howard, is you know playing a, a cop or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Although you know, um, that would have been fun though. <laughs> yeah. Say. Um, uh, Let's see. So, um, yeah, like I was saying, Johnny and One Shot, though, are a good team. They, they stick together. They get fired together. They, they triumph together. You know, they go through their problems together. They're rehired together. They're fun. <laughs> yeah, rehired together. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, but again, like I said, like you know, the problem is he, the, Mary's right and their editor is right. Like they should be fired for doing this. So, you know, um, uh, but instead of, of returning to, to the big city and getting their final check and getting fired, um, it, like in person, they're going to stick around. Johnny's dedicated to solving this mystery. And I think, I think after Mary tells him she feels like he betrayed her, I think his determination to solve this and, and find out who killed her brothers even kind of doubles down. So we do see kind of the good guy inside this, this, this character, obviously like he's, he's going to get this thing done and he's not, uh, you know, not just because, uh, he wants Mary to like him. He's going to do it because it's, it's just, you know, the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, uh, my favorite line Lugosi has in the movie is, uh, uh, he goes to, he goes to, um, uh, uh, the, he, Johnny and the chief go to, 
question Carruthers because Johnny is suspect. Johnny is now suspect, fully suspecting Carruthers because it's it's frankly not that far a stretch. I mean, there's a chemical compound that's making the bat attack people, and Doctor Carruthers is a chemist doctor, so you know it's it, it's the fact that everyone else in the town loves him so much that you can get the idea that they can't see past that image they have of him, but but Johnny doesn't have that preconceived idea, so he you know he obviously suspects him. So they're going to go up and question. And and when they do, he asks Lugosi if he'd heard the radio broadcast. And he, Lugosi has this line. He says, it was very interesting and very asinine. Yes. <laughs> and the way – I'm not doing it any justice. The way he says it, it's just – it's just that's a great line. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Carruthers kind of seems to pass the test and, and, and sound like he – he maybe is innocent, and even even Johnny starts to think maybe he he got it wrong, um, uh, and he gives Johnny the aftershave like on his way out uh, as a as a kind of a thing. And Johnny, you know, just to I think to finally test his his uh, you know his theory when they when he and one shot sit out that night to to try and wait for the bat to attack, they both put it on. So they basically make themselves you know. Vic, uh, you know, would be yeah. targets of the thing. So, yeah, I mean, Johnny. I mean, aside from aside from his 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 poor journalistic ethics, he's 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 no coward. He's he's definitely you know. Um, uh, I'm trying to catch up in the movie, and I actually just paused it at that moment where he says it's very interesting and very absent. <laughs> uh, it's good uh, in subtitles. Um, uh, the bat definitely does attack them. And this time, Johnny manages to, to, as it attacks one shot, Johnny manages to shoot it, uh, and then he kills it. So, I, as, as I think, I mean, this, this, this is pretty much the, the end of the second act, beginning of third act. Um, it's interesting because it, it, it's like, it's like the, 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 the end of the first sort of plot, but, but it causes a problem because, um, we know that, Carruthers has more bats and the fact that they've killed what, what they think is the bat. Um, we realize that obviously there's more bad badness. Yeah. <laughs> we won't have it. And, um, yeah, I just watched the shot where he, where he, he just shoots the bat 17 times while it's on the face of his, his friend. And you know, again, like I said, he's good shot. Yeah. <laughs> not to shoot his best friend in the head. <laughs> good, good for him. Um, but you know the fun thing is now they're vindicated. They they've actually kind of caught the bat in killing it, and they've proven its existence. So you know now uh, uh, the their McGinty is you know happy with them. He's going to hire him back, and they want to ask for a raise, and they they want all that. They're 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 in the good bargaining position now, of, of course. So good for them. Um, uh, the the other you know fun stuff of this is because. Carruthers' one bat died. He's got to he's got to grow another one. So we get more like we get sort of a second beat of Lugosi doing all the science stuff where he goes in the laboratory, puts on the goggles, puts puts the bat on the thing, shoots you full of electricity, stares through the goggles through the through the glass, and so we get we just get more Lugosi science stuff, which you know, you know, no dialogue, no anything. We just we're just seeing him do his do his thing, and there he goes. Um, this this Professor Rains guy on the radio. Um, it comes back on and now he, he, he's convinced that, you know, okay, well, obviously there was a bat. He thinks it's the last member of an extinct species and he's talking about it. And there's a great moment where Carruthers is listening to that on the radio and he yeah. just, just I, laughs to himself. He's like, eh, 
And that, oh, this is where he called yeah, the, the, yeah. What does he call it? Bombastic Big, ignoramus. Yeah. Big bombastic ignoramus. Like, like I think, I think you write something like that and give it to him and you're just like, if I was the writer on this, I would be just like, I'd just be wait. I'd be on set waiting for him to say that one line I wrote for him. Yeah. I just want to hear <laughs> Bella Lugosi say bombastic ignoramus. Oh my God. He's great. Um, uh, you know, uh, so uh, Carruthers is is so now. Um, oh, oh, and Mary, and most importantly, Mary forgives uh, uh, Johnny. So that's that's good. They're they're back in kind of thing. So so at this point, like I said, the heroes, as far as they're convinced, you know, the, the problem solved. Got got the killer bat. You know, we're 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 good. He got his job. They got their jobs back. They got a raise. They got all that stuff. They get, they're going to get paid for the time they were fired, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where it says like weeks have gone by or something like that. So yeah, they've been on this assignment forever on the, it's significant in the. Yeah. It must not be a lot going on in the town, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. And, Spend you know, a month like, tracking that devil bat story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like there's, the new deals, like old news at this point. And yeah. The Harbor hasn't been attacked. There's just not a lot happening in the news. I guess. Yeah. It's 1940. Like, there's nothing else going on, you know? Yeah. Has the Lindbergh baby already been kidnapped? I can't remember. I don't remember, I don't remember what year that that happened. Anyway, um, uh, I, I I have a note and and just to repeat, like like I said, like the you know the film's weakest factor is the thinness of Crothers' motivation here, where it's just it's just inspired by you know bitterness and 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 greed. Um, but Lugosi does sell that that's burned into him for so many years now that it is just starting to boil over. And we see this where um, he comes to visit as as the fact that he's basically killed almost all the all the offspring now. He's moving up to to Morton and and Heath, so he goes to visit Morton and um, and try to get him to put on the 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 lotion. You know, he says, "I finally perfected this. I want you to try it and everything like that." And there's a running gag where everyone every time someone opens up this shaving lotion to put it on there. Like, it's kind of strong. <laughs> like, um, um, uh, and he's, and the, he always, Oh, yeah, it, it, it evaporates. evaporates yeah. To right level of sense. <laughs> but like, you know, you get the idea. They're all like, has he lost it? Like he's, his new thing is just kind of awful. Um, but what we discover is that it's a secret ingredient. Carruthers has discovered when he was in Tibet. Um, it's a, it's a special thing that, that the, the Yogi use, or the la- he says the llama. Sorry, the the the, the llama used uh, in some of their ceremonies and, and everything. It's like a perfume. So you know he's he's brought this exotic thing back, which ties back to his earlier dialogue with the bat, <clears throat> where he talks about this strange oriental uh, <laughs> aroma that he's in. So, but it's a good plot thing because I would just say um, he doesn't run the risk of the bat accidentally smelling this on some innocent person and attacking them. It's not a scent that the bat's going to just. You know, if he used like lavender or something like that and the bat just goes and he, you know, if the bat happens to get into a bed, bath and beyond, it's going to kill everybody. You're just screaming nonstop. <laughs> Do they still have those? I don't even, I haven't been in the mall in years. I, um, I think so. <laughs> we go into um, an Ulta. There you go. It's, a, it's a, you go. another one that's not okay. uh, in danger of closing down. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. Um, uh so so yeah, his, it's his uh, it's his plan now. He's moved up to Morton. Uh, he does get Morton to put the stuff on, and then he he decides to leave. But um, as as he's leaving, Morton gets a call, and 
and it's it's Heath, and Heath has Heath has figured something out. I'm oh oh it, it, it is because is because Johnny's with Heath, and and yeah. he's told him the 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 solution. Yeah, I've lost my train of the plot a little bit here. I think I'm back. Um, <laughs> you and everybody else uh, that's watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I don't feel that guilty. It's just, you know, I mean, some of these movies I've seen a dozen or more times, and some of these movies I haven't quite seen as many times, but I still think they're worth talking about for sure. Um, Morton doesn't, I, I will say, like, Morton's uh, death is a little less upsetting to the viewer, given the fact that he doesn't seem very upset that Donald, his son, has just recently died as well. Like, yeah. it seems like kind of, <laughs> eh. You know, business as usual, making lots of money, pretty good. So, um, <laughs> I was going to make a comparison to certain studio bosses that my industry has been dealing with <laughs> lately. <laughs> yes, <laughs> don't, don't seem to quite have that the sympathy for other humans that they're just more into the money thing. So, I don't know. Maybe he's based on somebody um, that that all the all the producers and, and whatnot knew. I don't know. Um, uh, but this whole thing where like 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 Carruthers is so mad about the money thing and stuff like that that he actually almost gives it away like his scheme like he he says like something about three people already having been taken care of and this finally gets gets Morton's antenna up too and so he's a little suspicious you know and then he gets the call Lucas he comes back we have this moment um uh, uh Carruthers uses a cane in, in in a lot of scenes in this movie and I don't know if if that was a prop, a decision, or if that, I, I mean, I, I, Lugosi seemed to still be in pretty good shape. This is 1940. Like, I don't think it's not like, it's not like, you know, in Bride of the Monster, or Plan 9 from Outer Space, yeah. right? Where he actually kind of needed the, the cane at this point. Um, it, it seems like maybe it was a fashion choice and stuff. Does he have a cane in Black Friday? No, he doesn't. And, and so, no, he doesn't. I think that, and I did notice that because I, when I first started watching it, I, I wasn't really, I guess clear on what year this was made because, like, you know, he kind of looks older. I, I had thought, I was yeah. like, is this mid forties? And that no, it's nineteen forty. But it's it's interesting when he so I, I think some of it is makeup. However, uh-huh. even in so. even in some of the, the it, uh, even in the poor quality of the the picture that you will see this on, you can see the the age in his face. And yeah, I mean, which yeah. is just natural. He's he's almost sixty here, but um, to imagine that two years after this, he's going to be playing Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> you know, it's like oh my, my gosh, my God, right. that's, that's so crazy. Yeah, you do. You, it does make you realize he's sixty, or you makes you realize how old you know he kind of was. Is he? He's born in eighteen eighty. Eighty-two. So he he would yeah fifty-eight so here. He turned yeah, sixty yeah. while he was doing Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Yes, exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, that's that's just nuts. So I just wonder if there was a moment where I mean I know obviously so Lugosi as you guys have all heard us talk about his his injuries in the war and he had lifelong pain and that lifelong pain is part of what caused him to seek pain killing medication which contributed to his addiction problems that you know plagued him off and on I, I think for. A lot of the, a lot of his life, um, similar to what happens to a lot of people right now. Um, yeah, tale as old as time. But, uh, but I just, I was wondering if there are any movies around this time where he's using a cane. If that was a sign that, like, maybe he did actually need it a little bit for, you know, you know, he had a spasm or he had an issue or something. I don't know. Um, no, because I mean, I think was, yeah, I think it's just in the character. I mean, even yeah. I, I can't actually, I can't think of another 
at least not right offhand, another movie where I've seen him use a cane. I mean, like Igor, yeah. he kind of walks with a limp, but most, yeah. most, um, most movies around this time, early forties, he's very, his back is fair, pretty stiff and he, he stands straight up yeah. tall. And, and that, a lot of that yeah. could be just because of the pain he was in, but also we, he's, we think he, of that as kind of the way he stood, but I yeah. think it's him dealing with as, as somebody who has chronic back pain from a car accident, I can tell you like, it makes you stand differently. So you, you stand in a way that it's not going to hurt your back. And yeah. that really erect carriage of his maybe has something to do with it. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so Carruthers, <laughs> uh, gets, gets out of the, the um, uh, he actually follows. So, so, so Morton is, is told to t- come quickly to the Heath's house, uh, to, to learn something. Um, uh, Crothers actually follows him and uh as or, or no he follows Lugosi right yes he follows Carruthers yeah he follows Carruthers Carruthers stops at the Heath's house opens up his trunk and it turns out the the devil bat the second devil bat <laughs> has been in his trunk this whole time <laughs> um so you can imagine driving and hearing that thing screaming yeah <laughs> he's got holes poked in it just so it can you know breathe air yeah, right right so it can breathe yeah um uh, he lets it out, and then when Morton pulls up, um, you know, Lugosi's already in Lugosi. Carruthers is already inside when Morton is attacked by what what the press will dub the Devil Bat's mate, um, which you know gives him a perfect alibi, of course. So it's you know it's kind of it's clever, it's diabolical, and it's clever on the part of the writing. Um, uh, uh, but you know, C- C- Morton is killed like feet away feet away only you know right outside the door of where everybody is um so you know his 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 death is you know kind of but like i said you know uh lugosi or carruthers carruthers just has this perfect alibi where he and he's not only he's not only like like got it got it got witnesses that he wasn't there to do it but he's the one that they have come in and inspect the body itself too yeah so he's he's got this figured out um Again, we have we have a great montage of newspaper articles and bats superimposed on each other, which is always fun. Um, a second monster bat has made an appearance in Heathville. Uh, uh, the so-called devil bat's mate. Um, uh, next on on Carruthers' hit list, uh, he's finally moved up to Mary. Um, he's he's interestingly held off on her until you know pretty recently, but uh, now we see he uh, we see this awesome shadow of him. Um, in in her bedroom, and he's replacing her stuff uh, at, while he's down at the Heath for you know dinner, or drinks or what what have you. Um, uh, and so when Mary goes up to bed in you know that night, and she she, I guess is going to put perfume on before going to bed because you know uh, <laughs> it's the forties. <40s>. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 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 she she basically sprays herself with the, with the thing. Um, Dr. Crothers back in his lab, let's, let's loose the, the bat. And, um, and it comes to attack Mary, uh, who she says like somehow the, you know, the screen had been left open in my room and I closed it or Maxine closed it. Um, so, but for that, obviously she would have been the next victim of the devil bat, but she manages to, you know, as it is, the bat basically just comes and bumps up against the the glass. (laughs) Hey, Hey, let me in. Um, uh, 
and and she she is saved from from you know a, a gruesome a gruesome bat related yeah. fate. Uh, uh, Johnny is full on uh, you know head detective at this point, uh, and he's the one who comes up with the idea of like okay, um, Mary, you know you know because Carruthers doesn't know if this was successful or not or what happened because he he'd left um, to obviously let loose the devil bat. Um, He's the one who who says has you know we're gonna let, we're gonna tell Carruthers that Mary is much worse off than she is that she's really hysterical and frightened and stuff. What we meanwhile she's Mary's quite composed. Yeah. Um, uh, and we're gonna have him come and check her. And while he comes and check on Mary, I'm you know jo- Johnny's plan is to go to uh, Carruthers' house because he still is full on suspicious of the guy. Um, he's gonna go to Carruthers' place. And and look for you know any kind of anything incriminating. Um, it doesn't work out quite as well as he wants. Carruthers sort of excuses himself pretty quickly, gets back and goes back up the hill to his place. Um, Johnny hasn't really found anything, but while he's there, he manages to see Carruthers go into his secret laboratory and and you know do actually follows him all the way up into the bat chamber and and sees him opening the window and and. Uh, let, he, he lets out all the bats because he says if the police come, I'm going to have difficulty explaining bats, you know, why you guys are here. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like if you had a room full of bats, like I've seen bat rooms in the zoo and they smell in a very profound way. They do. So I feel like anyone investigating would probably be able to see some droppings and figure it out, but that's okay. Well, you know. Um. Uh. <laughs> He comes back down and, and Johnny actually is, I guess he's gone outside and then he knocks on the door like he's just showing up just now and has not been actually following the doctor around and seeing all his secrets. Um, uh, and he, he says he's going to go out and wait for the, the devil bat, devil bat's mate. Um, and, and he invites Carruthers out to, to sit with him, um, kind of, kind of dares him to. And there's, there, this stuff at the end I, I like, it's like, it's like, um, John Johnny knows at this point that it that that Carruthers is the villain and and how he's doing it obviously because he's he's seen it, um, and it's like Carruthers knows that Johnny knows, and Johnny knows that Carruthers knows that he knows you know what I mean like there's yeah it's it's good there's good moments between them and it's it's good Lugosi stuff and it's 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 uh good stuff on the part of this young uh, Dave O'Brien character who, again did he also did I mean. I, when I looked him up, uh, just a ton of westerns came up as well. So he, you know, he he worked a lot. He did a lot of things. I don't know how long a career he had or how long he lived or anything like that. But because um, he doesn't do any monster movies, so besides this, so he doesn't really factor into my. <laughs> Again, I talk about it, I don't have the bandwidth. I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I still have movies Dwight Fry did that I have to watch that I've never seen. So you know, hey. Um, speaking of all, we got to do an episode on the Vampire Bat. Um, do you know that movie? I do. I, I watched yeah. that for. The, I've only seen it once. I watched it for the first time like okay. a couple years ago. I haven't watched it in forever, and I really, I really do want to do an episode on it. Yeah, I mean, Lionel Atwell is in that one too. Lionel Atwell, Fay Ray, and Dwight Fry. Yeah. I mean, you know, come on, man. Um, it's supposed to be pretty wickedly funny. Um, uh, I, I, just, I barely remember it. I, I, I think I, I think I got that and this movie and a bunch of other movies kind of all mixed together when I saw them years and years ago. Um, anything with bat in it. Uh, so, uh, this thing where, you know, Carlos accepts Johnny's, uh, you know, request and they go out and then you, you suddenly now have this scene where, where he and 
he and Carruthers are just sort of sitting, uh, you know, on on the bench together at night, kind of like kind of like hanging out, and it's just like it's like hanging out with Bella Lugosi. <laughs> yeah. Um, like okay, like just shooting the shooting the shit. Um, uh, uh, I think you know. Uh, he's a, there's a bit of David Manners in Dave O'Brien with, with certain differences of, you know, um, he's, he's sort of less suave, but he's kind of more funny, you know, like, yeah. like he's charming the same way and everything like that. I, I think, I think he's, he's a good floor for him. Um, so, you know, um, the, the next stage of his plan obviously is, is, uh, you know, while he's put on the, the lotion himself and, and, you know, daring the bat to, to come and attack him while he's out there, he, he intentionally splashes it on Carruthers and Carruthers again recoils and freaks out because he knows that now he's, you know, it's, it's almost like a game of like, what I, what I dig is like, it's almost like Russian roulette kind of they're playing, you know, it's like, well, it's going to be one or the other of us. And it's like, it's not like the bat has any loyalty to Carruthers. Like, you know, it'll, it'll just decide one way or the other. Um, which way it's going to go? Uh, uh, the the bat does show up, and um, it's actually shot at by the chief. So there's a, a well, shot at by 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 uh, Layton, and then shot at by the chief. And when Layton tries to shoot it, <laughs> um, Garruthers grabs his arm, and they have a, like a, a fisticuffs kind of moment, which maybe slightly other something different between yeah <laughs> David Bryan and. <laughs> David Manners, it's a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty, it's a decent enough fight scene. Um, uh, the, the chief, while maybe he's not the most bumbling detective, he's a terrible shot with a shotgun. He, he shoots off like a bunch of rounds and he manages to never hit the bat while, you know, uh, while, while it's flying. But, um, in, in, so the bat gets away, but for the moment, but, um, obviously, uh, they have their man. They have, they have Carruthers. Mary picks that time to come outside and um, distract them. And the bat comes back and Carruthers runs off into the woods. Um, and, and where he meets up with Mary and kind of grabs her and tries to pull her away. Yeah. And I guess he's going to try and take her back to his place um, where I guess, I don't know if he's going to feed her to the bat or what his, he's thinking on his feet at this point, you know, Carruthers, the plan's gone he's away. Making it up. Yeah. He's and making so it up as he goes along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's improvising at this point. Hey, you know, you got to do what you got to do as a mad scientist. Um, it, yeah. Cause Mary sees Carruthers running through the woods and she kind of follows him. She's like, Hey, wh- what are you doing? What's going on? Um, and she's worried about Johnny, of course. Um, and this is where we get the fin- finale of the film where, um, the bat does finally swoop down and take, take out Carruthers. Um, and just before he manages to get to Mary, that's when, uh, again, with his, with his terrible aim, the, the chief actually does manage to take it out. This <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's good. It's nice to give that to the chief. It's like that would have been easy to have Johnny be the guy who shows up and just guns it down the last minute, but the chief, the chief manages to do it. So good for him. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, and that's that's about the the thing. You know, he's you know, uh, obviously you know there's the poetic justice that uh, Carruthers is killed by his own creation um, that turns on him. So in in keeping with kind of you know. The Frankensteinian kind of thing, and all that. you know, it's okay. Um, it matches. I mean, I, I do. Like I said, I think I was saying before the thing like this. For it does exist somewhere. Like, it's definitely not a universal film, you know. 
Um, I think the music is is a is a real giveaway yeah. for that 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 it doesn't quite the lack reach of music. Yeah, peak. yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, hey, uh, for for what they they had to work with and stuff, I don't know anything about the budget of this film, and I don't know you know how they they put it together. But uh, uh, you know, it's. It's one of those things. It's it's fun to do and stuff like that. And it's fun sometimes to just talk about one of these and, and take a break from some of the more, you know, uh, historically. I mean, talking about like something like Phantom of the Opera twenty five is like you feel like you gotta yeah <laughs> get it right. It's important. Um, something like Devil Bat, we can have some more fun with. But I I, I honestly just love the film. It's I think it's just really, it, you know again, like it, I said like the the goofiness thing of it is my favorite thing. It is and. I know I kind of began the, the episode saying, you know, well, you know, don't watch, you know, essentially don't watch a classic <laughs> right before you watch this. And while that still stands true, I will say that um, <laughs> I think it's – you hit on something right at the start of the show, and it, it kind of got me thinking, and I was saving to the end to bring this up. I think that if you took essentially – well, okay, so you took the exact same plot um, – Lugosi in the same role, saying the same lines. And if you added in the universal music and production yeah. value um, and kept everything the same, the Devil Bat would probably be looked upon in a much more favorable yeah. way, you know? And oh, oh, definitely, yeah. I say that because it's – I'm guilty of this myself, of, of kind of turning my nose up at some of these quote-unquote lesser – you know, mm-hmm. movies and, and things like that. And, but I, I do find that when I actually go back and watch them, there's, there's a lot there. And, and, uh, you know, this is one that, you know, you, you don't, don't expect, <laughs> don't expect, uh, uh, just a, a classic that's going to make you think. But if you just kind of go in and, I mean, hey, I, I love the Mad Ghoul. I love, you know, House of Horrors yeah. and Captive Wild Woman. Yeah. And the, those movies are not really any better than this one. So, um, exactly. Yeah. Th- this it's, it's all, I mean, it's just not, it, it doesn't have as good a brand name, obviously. Exactly. Yeah. Is known, is known for a certain type of movie. And so I think, you know, it's stigmatized by that. Yeah. But, but, and, and there are, there are PRC movies that are harder to get through than this. Uh, uh, this, this on the whole, I don't know how many more of those we'll do, but um, I think this one holds up quite well. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. It's it's good to see Lugosi kind of just let it all out. I mean, the, the 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 one thing that you know, I don't think anybody can ever say um, about Lugosi was that he he didn't really phone in quote unquote a performance. Yeah. I mean, if he did, you really couldn't tell that much. Um, yeah, there were definitely times where he was over the top or or just overly. Uh, dramatic, but um, mm. I think that happens with most actors of his era, and I think you know he 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 knew what he was. You know he he knew what the, he he was just doing this for. You know this was a job, and but it didn't yeah. stop him from giving a good performance. And here we are, eighty plus years later, enjoying it because you know he. He just he needed the work and and that he you know yeah, yeah. he s- speaks to his uh, commitment as an actor and and you know there's not a lot of I say this all the time you know that you can watch a lot of movies that are made today or in the last ten twenty years that are thought provoking have a lot of plot twists and great effects and so on and so forth I'm not sure there's a whole lot of movies that are made today that people will be talking about eighty years from now except of course yours sure. Jim. I mean, clearly. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. <laughs> it. Um, hey, it's a movie made by that guy you talked about, Bella Lugosi, a lot. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, I agree. No, I, I think I think he he's definitely the special sauce, and I think you, you, there's a noticeable difference in a movie like this when it has someone like him or uh, or Karloff or or you know even Chaney Jr. sometimes or, or what you know a couple other actors, um, and and when they don't, and yeah. and you know and and that um, Lugosi's own. I mean, because Lugosi's also aside from aside from his skill, his prodigious skill, and his dedication to these things. Uh, Lugosi is also his own brand name too. So, you know, this movie is going to appear on videos and things like, you know, it's going to get released even in cheap, you know, royalty free kind of editions of DVD and stuff. It's going to get released just because of Lugosi's brand. I have a, I have a stack of really terrible, like DVD, you know, not the movies aren't terrible. Like the, the quality of the DVDs is terrible that I got from like half price books years ago of like the corpse vanishes and all the, you know, they had all the Lugosi stuff that had gone into public domain. And did you, uh, you know, someone took the time to make those discs because they knew there's an audience for him and there's the audience for him just because of who Lugosi was. So it all, you know, the, the circuity is really, is really there with him. I just want to thank you for hanging out for our, we're, <laughs> we're trying to, we were trying to keep this under two hours. We think we managed it. Um, for the devil bat um uh, i appreciate you guys uh coming back and, and living with us um i appreciate you guys uh the messages i got where people were saying they missed us uh while we were not uh, releasing episodes uh we're, we we appreciate being missed we love doing this and we love yes. that, that people enjoy us uh, us doing it as well so uh anyway livio thanks for rapping with me about the devil bat absolutely it was a great pleasure man good to be back and um okay cool uh i'm jim towns thank you for listening to the borgo password podcast uh we'll be back next time thank you take care thank you for listening to this episode but the fun does not stop here you can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on facebook instagram and twitter The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Gould. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. (laughs) 